I call this analyzing with Eric. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! Woo! Let's get cake! <laughs> Are you nostalgic? A parent? Or perhaps a child at heart? When it comes to children's media, from books to TV shows, and even movies, there's often more than meets the eye. Is it well written? Does it still hold up today? What works and what doesn't? Or maybe you wonder what went on behind the scenes of that work. Together, a trio of adults, who are also kids at heart, will critique and comment on a new piece of children's media each episode. Hello, this is Eric. Hi, I'm PJ. And I'm Rico. You're listening to Beyond the Lens, a family-friendly podcast. Welcome to our third episode of Beyond the Lens. We're continuing with the theme of each of the co-hosts' favorite show. Mine was Zoom from the first episode. PJ's was Spongebob from the last one, and now we're on Eric's, and his show happens Ooh, to... never heard of him. <laughs> <laughs> and his show happens to be Shining Time Station. Surprise! It's a show with a train, and more trains, and more trains. <laughs> um, I think the show really kind of spun me off into... You know when you watch shows as kids and you go, that was a fun show. I mm-hmm. wish I had more relevance in my life. And then it does. And then you go, maybe, maybe, maybe I was joking. Maybe I shouldn't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I think this is one of the shows that I watched more than anything else. I've watched a lot of PBS. Um, I watched a little bit of Disney Channel, a little mm-hmm. bit of Nickelodeon, but it was a lot of PBS. Um, mm-hmm. It was definitely Shining Time Station, Carmen San Diego. Arthur, you name it, I watched it. So, what, I, Rico? I know you know a lot about Shining Time Station. Yeah. Um, PJ, how much how how much knowledge do you have on this series? I honestly have never heard of the show until it was brought up this week. So I have like little to no knowledge of it. I did some research on it, but all I know is it has to do with Thomas the Tank Engine, and I'm sure that it's a great show because. I know a lot of people love Thomas the Tank Engine, including myself. I am just unfortunate enough to have not really grown up with Thomas the Tank Engine. Like, I had train sets and all that, and he was among all the other trains that I had in the set, but I never actually watched his shows. But I I, I took a look at it, and it you looked are very entertaining. I am aware of Thomas the Tank Engine, yes. That's step number one, because if that was not, then we would have had to go and do a ton of backstory. Yeah. <laughs> I, mm. I, I think what's great about Thomas is that he is recognizable even if you don't watch the television series or read the books, which is a huge standpoint for marketing anything with toys or with uh, with clothing or anything like that. So I think their Mattel, who now owns Thomas and Friends, is really, really lucky to have a character that's so recognizable. It's it's on the same vein as Mickey Mouse, where maybe you didn't watch a lot of the animated shorts growing up, but you know who Mickey Mouse is. Yeah. So Shining Type Station started in the late 80s. Um, somebody was on a trip in the UK, 
and brought Rick Sigelkow, who worked at PBS, a tape of one of the Thomas and Friends episodes. I believe it was the first episode. So then he watched it. He was the first person to in the United States to watch an episode of Thomas and Friends. And he showed it to a preschool class, and they were completely entranced by it. And he said, okay, yeah, we can pick this up and bring it to the U.S. Now, the biggest problem with that was that these episodes are about four and a half minutes long. In the U.K., they have different time blocks than the U.S. does for television programming. So they were able to do one episode, do a 30-second like interval with the engines and little name cards and then do another episode and then wrap up with the end credits making it about a 10 minute airtime now the u.s does not have that the u.s has 30 minutes or an hour and that's it so they had to figure out how they were going to create a format that would work to get one or two of these four and a half minute thomas episodes and stretch it out into a 30 minute slot so he partnered with Britt Allcroft, who created Thomas and Friends, the TV series, and they came up with the concept of Shining Time Station. Um, Shining Time Station is on the Indian, the fictionalized Indian Valley Railroad. Rico, correct me, it's in the fictional town and everything takes place like northwest, like New York, Pennsylvania area, correct? Well, honestly, I don't think it was ever revealed. I know when we, because I was part of Soto Island's Shining Time site team way back when that was mm-hmm. first coming up. Someone, someone like screenshotted a map that was seen of the Indian Valley from the show, and judging by like the zip codes that were seen, it actually, it actually seemed like it's in Wisconsin, apparently, and that makes sense because Rick. Wow. Okay. Because Rick Sigelko has family from Wisconsin, and that's how he pronounces last name Sigelko, not Sigelkow. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I just pronounce everyone's name completely wrong. <laughs> um, I'll tell you a funny story about names while we're while we're on that topic. We were my friend and I were walking around um, Universal a couple of years ago, and for Mardi Gras season they have different people come in and do concerts every saturday and i'm reading the names and i go i don't know who leonard skynard is and my roommate looks at me and goes leonard skinnard and i said oh well i've never seen it spell out before i don't know how to read you know this (laughs) (laughs) i'm just gonna call it shooting time staciones um that's what the new title of the show is. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so, yeah, so Britt and Rick created this TV series. Um, the runtime would be about 30 minutes. And it was about a fictional railroad station where, like, magical things happened. You really didn't know what an episode was going to be. But generally, it focused in on a some sort of a topic, whether it was bullying or uh, money management. It was... They did a really good job of figuring out what the topic of a Thomas story was and saying, well, how do we incorporate that into the real world and blend everything together? So the station was run by station manager Stacey Jones, who is played by Didi Khan. Didi Khan is most well known as Frenchie from Greece, the movie. So when I first, so Greece was my first movie musical that I saw. 
And the only reason why I had any interest in seeing Grease was because I recognized Edie Khan. I had no idea who anybody else was, and I recognized Edie Khan. And I was like, I have to watch this movie. And my mom's like, I don't know. I don't think you're old enough for that movie. Yet. <laughs> we watched it anyway, and then like anything that was like sexualized went right over my head, and I was like, I don't know what's happening. Um, so she's in charge of the railroad, and her nephew Matt, Matt, yeah, Matt, Matt, Matthew. Um, mm-hmm is there and he starts looking around and she's giving him a tour in the first episode of like, this is where people wait and this is where people get their tickets. So what was really nice was that it showcased how a railroad station functioned, which hadn't really been done on the Thomas series. It was just, you just assumed that things happened on the station, but you're more focused on the engines and their scenarios. So it was nice to get the humanized perspective of seeing how a railroad station function. Some interesting things about this series was it blended the live action segments with the Thomas episodes through an 18 inch conductor that lived in a signal house that was painted into the beautiful mural. I think this mural is one of the most beautiful sets that has ever been created for any TV series or film. And the conductor was played by Ringo Starr, who conveniently narrated the first two seasons of Thomas and Friends. And they said, well, heck, we don't have to redub these really much if you come in and just act as well. So he was like, Okay, cool. So he did that for the first season. There was also an engineer that worked there, Harry Cupper, played by Leonard Jackson. He had a niece that was named Tanya that was friends with Matt, and they would play at the station, and Mr. Conductor would tell Thomas stories based on whatever the theme of the episode was. It took a few episodes for them to really get into the figuring out what the theme of each episode was. So it definitely took a little bit of I would say honestly until season two for them to really get into the groove of things and start figuring out how they were telling these stories um, so yeah when when Ringo came on to do the series originally Britt was trying to figure out who she wanted to narrate these stories and she heard this voice from a different room on the on the television and she ran in and was like oh that's Ringo Starr. He's a Beatle. So fun fact, Brent Holcroft did not like the Beatles and had really no desire to listen to them. So everyone made such a huge deal that this Beatle was cast on the show. And she was like, yeah, I liked his voice. <laughs> <laughs> had no no recollection or any, any knowledge of the Beatles other than they were a fun band and they made music. So that was an interesting thing. So when, again, when they brought him on to do the live action segments, everyone was like, oh my God, a Beatle's going to be in a show that's going to air in the U.S. And she's like, yeah, he's he's a narrator. He's cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. What else? Um, they also did a lot of animated segments. Um, mm-hmm. They had like a... What, they had an arcade that was run by a guy called Schemer, and he was, I think, honestly, the most childish character on this show, which was done on purpose, obviously, um, to juxtapose the how a, adults act and how people focus in on money and versus. And he made a great just a juxtaposition for Stacy Jones, who was the manager. Um, so. Schemer was played by Brian O'Connor, who was a fantastic comedian, did a couple of things on Nickelodeon and a couple of other random random TV shows. 
And he was the greatest comedic relief and played so well with every other character on there. So his whole plot was that he ran the arcade that was inside the station. He, um, everything there cost a nickel. So he was obsessed with nickels and wanted to be rich and a nickel air and everything. And the kids were like, you're weird and crazy, but they all generally got along. And if there was some lesson to be learned, it was, usually learned through schemer there were some lessons that were learned through the kids but schemer sometimes caused a chaotic mess and they had the kids had to help him clean everything up and everything one of the arcade items that was in there was a jukebox that played different songs and railroad theme songs and everything but the way they presented the jukebox was that inside the jukebox a band lived and played this music and the band was a set of marionettes created by Flexitune puppets. There were two guitar players that generally were country western style. There was a piano player that was... His name was Tito, and I think... Rico, correct me if I'm wrong. Did he Was he supposed to have a Spanish heritage? I don't know. But Tito does sound like a Spanish name, so I don't know. He had a bit of a Spanish tone to him when he sang, Mm -hmm. too. I don't know. Um, And then you had Didi, who was on drums, and then you had Grace, who was on the guitar. So one, two, three, yes, five. Tito is probably the most well-known voice actor in that cast. That is Jonathan Freeman, who is also the voice of Jafar in the Aladdin series of films and television and is currently in the musical on Broadway as Jafar. So he's really good friends with the people that created Flexitune, who are also voice actors in that. Olga plays um, Dee Dee, and then Craig plays one of the one of the twins i don't remember which one i'm a terrible fan i apologize <laughs> so then the first season went really well and everyone really latched on to it it was uh, rick says that this is probably one of the most popular shows of the late 80s and the early 90s because of how many people watched it what was nice is it was Next, it aired next to Where in the World Was Carmen San Diego, which is more of a fast-paced show. Shining Sensation kind of slowed things down. It has almost—I don't even know if you guys know what this restaurant is. We have a lot of Cracker Barrels down here, and that's kind of the tone that this show had. It's I think like I've heard the name. Yeah, I heard the name. It's a very. It's a very southern restaurant. But when you walk in, the first thing you walk into is there's a giant store. And it, it has a very similar feel to what Shining Time Station's music and atmosphere was created. It was a very, like, homey type environment. Oh, what else do we want to talk about? So there was there was a lot of material that was able to be presented because you had the different styles of presentation because you had the live action, you had the live action model mix with the Thomas episodes, you had the puppetry with the jukebox band, through the animation, through one of the picture machines, and through later Mr. Conductor had a magic bubble that would come and sing songs and everything and have animated sequences. Um, So it was a really interesting balance of presentation of material. So after season one ended... They did some cast shifting. Matt and Tanya kind of left the series. They were in the first episode of season two, and then they were 
replaced by other characters. Um, there's Kara, Dan, and Becky, who so now we have three characters. Um, the engineer was replaced with Billy Two Feathers, who was a Native American that worked on the Indian Valley Railroad. And this gave a great diversity to the cast. Um, Tom Jackson is a Native American. He is from, I believe he's in, he's still in Canada. Yeah. And what was really great about that was he would be able to bring Native American heritage and stories into the series. Um, there's one episode in particular that I remember that is very relevant us uh, still to this day so schemers trying to get into the nicolaire club which is run by this like very hoity-toity prestigious man who is just judgmental of everyone so he uh, things are slightly exaggerated and written differently because it's a kids television series but most of the stuff is very straightforward and relevant so he tries to get Stacy to entertain them because she's a woman and she is there for their pleasure and entertainment and wants her to do you know all the random chores that he needs done in Arians and then he sees Billy Two Feathers and says ah Indian chief and calls him chief chief all all the time and he was like Haha, stop so they shut him down real quick and Stacy tells the story about how her grandmother wanted to be a part of this club, and they said no because she's a woman, and this is only for white men and all sorts of stuff. So it was, like, really, really relevant even today. Um, so they're able to present these very um, touchy and sensitive topics and be able to bring them into a children's medium, which is very challenging to do. And it's... Even today, it's very hard to do that. There are shows like Boy Meets World and Girl Meets World that really embrace that idea that they had a mission to teach kids about the issues that are going on in the world. And I think Rick and Britt realized as well, this is an opportunity to present real world topics and not only bring them in with the human perspective, but there's also some of the stories for Thomas lightly touch on those as well. There's a lot going on with the Thomas series with the um, the juxtaposition of the steam engines and the diesel engines. And there's a little bit of racist type tones going on there. There's also like a, a classification of the engines are higher than the coaches. And then the engines have their own hierarchy. And so there's there's a whole bunch of like deepness behind all these children's television things. Another major recasting for the second and third season of Shining Camp Station was Mr. Conductor, so Ringo Starr left. I'm not 100% sure what the reason was behind that. Rico, do you remember? Was it he was trying to go back into his music career and focus more on that? I think that was it. Okay, cool. So he said, I'm going back to focus on music. And then they said, well, we need another replacement, and we need somebody to narrate the Thomas episodes for the season three and however more we need to do. So Rick came in and said, Hey, I want you to listen to something and I want to hear what you think. So he plays this audio cassette and I, I'm, I think it was an interview or it was a stand up show. And she goes, Oh, he's got a very interesting voice. And she goes, and Rick said, This is comedian George Carlin. And she goes, Oh, okay. We can get him to do the show. So when they approached him, they said, 
would you be interested in doing this? And I thought it was going to be way more convincing and way more complicated than that personally because of his very adult stand-up comedy that he routines that he has. And he accepted almost immediately because it's that he thought that this would give him a, a different pers- give people a different way to see him. He'd be able to explore different acting challenges with acting with kids and be and he the audience would be able to see a different personality and a different side of George, the person and the actor. So when he went to do the show, he was very open with all the kids and the adults and he worked so well with everyone which is not what you would have expected based on the material that he presented in his live stage formats. I think what people also don't realize, they realize it more now, is that there's a stage presence of a person versus a the person himself and I think the character, the comedian George Carlin is different than the person, the real life person, George Carlin. So, and I think that's that's definitely something that people are slowly starting to realize now, especially with the internet and with YouTube and that kind of stuff popping up. You see people in interviews versus what their stage appearance is, and they're very different people. And it's all part of the entertainment industry. So George took over. He narrated, he re-narrated some of the uh, Thomas stories from seasons one and two, and they went to three and four. Eventually, after three seasons, Sonic Time Station ended. They went and produced four specials. Yeah, four family specials. Four more specials after four family specials after that. Those ran about an hour each, and it was weird as a kid seeing all of these kids like in their teenage years, and I was like, "Oh, this is different." <laughs> Because I'm so used to seeing like, you know, eight, 10 year olds on the show. And then all of a sudden it's like some of them are 16 and I'm like, oh, this is, this is not what I expected. But also I feel like if they replaced any of the kids, it would have been real weird. So it was nice that everyone came back to do these specials. So Giant Time Station with the specials officially ended in 1995. George Carlin went on to do some more live action sequences as Mr. Conductor for Mr. Conductor's Thomas Tales. So that was so they were able to continue the, the putting Thomas out on the television series um, or on the television side, um, which was great. And then there's this fun movie that came out in 2000 called Thomas and the Magic Railroad. And elements from Shining Time Station were put into the movie Thomas and the Magic Railroad, which for a an international audience that did not have Shining Time Station confused them because they had no idea who these characters were and why Thomas was mixed in with these random humans because that was not what they were used to. So that didn't go too well. Um, and in order to present to uh, prepare for that movie being released because Shine Camp Station had been off the air for almost five years at that point. Britt made a deal with Nick Jr. and Shining Time Station re-aired on Nick Jr. so that way it could get the kids that would be going to see this Thomas theatrical film familiar with the Shining Time Station brand so that when they saw the movie they would understand what was going on. Which I thought was a good business decision also that meant that when we were on lunch and the TV came on, I would say, Move! Shining Time Station's on! 
and then I would change the channel. And <laughs> nobody would fight with me because they knew that I would win. <laughs> <laughs> so, Rico, what would you like to talk about with the series since I just went and did a 20-minute overview of what the series was? No, this is great. I needed this information. This actually helped a lot. So, thank you. Good. Actually, thank you. I guess my first question is, uh, why did you like the show growing up, Eric? Um, I think, honestly, the first thing that caught my attention was the theme song as a kid, and it still does. The theme song is so calming and very, very welcoming, and I think that the the gold dust that is presented throughout kind of capture uh, from a visual perspective that caught my attention as a child. And then I saw Thomas and I was like, I recognize this character from various things in the stores and everything. So once I started watching the show, I found out that there were the uh, die cast trains that I could get and I was like I want these trains I want to recreate these stories that I'm seeing on TV and I want to pretend I work at Shining Time Station and it was it, it opened up a lot of imagination doors for me and then my mom said but this was around the time I was trying to get potty trained too and my mom said okay well if you go if you get potty trained then you can have one of these trains so I got potty trained and I got Bill and Ben and then after that I, every time I went to, on, uh, went to the bathroom, I'd come out and I'd go, okay, I went on, I went to the potty, more trains now. And then my mom realized that she had created a monster. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> so then being able to then go out and purchase the merchandise based on the show, recreate the things that I've seen on the show and create my own stories. I think that was something that really intrigued me because you couldn't really do that with any of the other shows that I watch. You can't really do that with Carmen San Diego. You can't tell somebody to go missing and then have me search for them. <laughs> you can't, you can't really do that with some of these Nickelodeon shows like Rugrats. Like what am I going to do? Pretend address as Tommy Pickles and pretend I'm a baby. Like, no, that's not what I'm going to do. So this was, this was a show that I was able to explore out in my world environment as well as appreciate from their environment. Also, I think this is where I really started to get interested in artwork because of the mural that was used on the set. That is, it's still to this day, I still talk about it as one of my favorite art pieces and it doesn't exist anymore and it makes me very upset and I want to recreate it so I can stare at it all day long. But then and every time I go to a museum, I'm like, but it's not the mural. <laughs> It's like, look at this Monet. And I'm like, that's great. But it's not my Shining Time Station mural, which I'm never going to see again. The mural represented the various progress with transportation, correct? I think so, yeah. That's what it was there for, I think. Because I had like the horse and wagon, and I had the trains, and I had the boats, and I had all sorts of different things. It was so pretty. <laughs> All right, what else do you have? I know one thing that uh, Rick Siegelko mentioned in an interview with uh, Soder Island way back in the day. He talked about, like, if he thought it would be a good idea, since it is so popular and many people do remember it, 
if Sonic Temptation were to come back today, what it would be like. And Rick said, well, he appreciates, like, the fans and, like, how people remember it. It was a product of the day, and nowadays, with everything going on in the world, like mass shootings and everything, he don't know how parents would react to a show that premised on kids hanging around in a train station. <laughs> I mean, valid. That was a little bit of a weird thing that, as a kid, I never thought about. I was like, oh, I mean, there was adult supervision because there mm-hmm. were adults present, but, like, they were they were working. They had jobs. These kids were just kind of there. Mm-hmm. Whether or not they were, regardless of if they were related to the adults that were there, it was just a little, it was a weird environment thinking about it as an adult. <laughs> I think, I think just the pacing of it, I'm not sure if that would work in today's environment. Only because you see the switch that Thomas just made with Big World Big Adventures. And how the pacing is a much tighter and quicker and not it's not as calm and almost serene and relaxing as it once was, especially with the model series. And I think that if Shining Time Station were to come back, it would it would shift so far away from what the tone of the original was. I don't know how successful it would be. I think it would be better to create a similar show with similar messages and, and similar characters, but then it would have to be adjusted for the fast paced environment that the kids are expecting now. And because Thomas is now airing, Regularly, they figured out how to do the 30-minute format for U.S. television. Would Thomas even be involved in the series anymore at this point? And how would you work that in? Yeah. I feel bad because it's like, I wish I would have watched this show. I did a little research on it, and I was born in 1997, so this show ended, like, just a few years before I was born. You're such a baby! I know, yeah, yeah, uh, and I'm wishing that, like, you know, they would have reran it for a longer period because, um, I listened to the themes. I had a chance to listen to the theme song, and I will say, even though I've never watched the show, it sounded so nostalgic, and I was like, oh, I wish so I would have watched. Nice. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was really nice, and I think as a kid that would have it would have been a really great show if I would have watched it because I I love trains. I will say that, and um, I did grow up with Thomas. It's just I never watched it as i mentioned earlier and i wish that would have been the show i would have had the chance to watch because it just seemed so like organized and i uh you mentioned the all the different things they had like the puppets and the animation and i love those hybrid shows because it it keeps not only my attention but it's so interesting to see how like the humans interact with the you know non-human people and the creatures and it's it also, it's always fascinating to me and especially as an actor because it's like you're looking at the ground and you have to pretend something's there like hi creature and it's yeah, yeah. i love that it's <laughs> so it's so mesmerizing to me what's nice about having the various art styles is it shows that the creative team completely embraces all the different art styles and the different performance styles and as opposed to just sticking with one which always i always enjoy i enjoy 
that was Zabumafu with with the mix of live action animals and the puppetry and the animation sequences. That was another show that did that really well. Um, I mean, I'm going back quick to the theme song. If you compare the theme song to Shining Time Station to what the other popular shows at the time were it is so completely different because even just looking at disney afternoon you have chippendale rescue rangers you have tailspin you have darkwing duck all of which had this very like cartoony poppy and then carmen san diego also had a very rock poppy vibe to it this was so completely different and I think it also captured the mu- it's just the music throughout the series <laughs> captured railroad music really, really well. And I enjoyed also with the jukebox band, they were able to reinterpret a lot of these songs. So the first song that they covered in the first episode was I've been working on the railroad, which everyone's like, they all sing it the same way. And they did a very poppy rock cover of it. And it was so good. And I want the soundtrack for every single song that they ever performed on this. The problem now is, is that these episodes are well up on YouTube because of fans. They have not been restored properly. They're just like pulled from VHSs that people have recorded them off of the TV from because that's all we have right now. Fun thing that Mattel is trying to do is we're, we're trying to figure out if Mattel is going to be interested in releasing a DVD or a streaming version of Shining Time Station. So that way people can actually enjoy this show from a nostalgic standpoint. We have no idea if that's actually going to happen, but it, we know it's in the talks and that they know that there are fans that are interested in seeing this properly restored and brought back into, you know, whether it's Amazon Prime, Hulu, Netflix, DVD release, what have you, it'd be nice to get this back into the public eye again. And I think Dee Dee Khan and Brian O'Connor, who played Stacy and Schemer, would also really appreciate it because they really carried the human aspects of this show very heavily, and they really embraced those characters. So much so that Brian O'Connor also did a tour as Schemer where he went to various malls and schools and did some skits that he did on the show and and talked about different things. And it was like, I think he did the Schemer Presents as part of the segment. So Schemer Presents was a specific segment that was released as as bonus content for the VHS releases for Shining Time Station, specific Shining Time Station episodes. And then eventually did a compilation VHS with all the Schemer Presents. So it's like Schemer Presents How to Make Your Bed. And he does this like ridiculous, ridiculous comedic you know presentation of how to make your bed and it goes terribly wrong and then one of the kids has to come in and show him how to make his bed properly and then he ends with a song about like how great he is and it's just <laughs> so it's so I, God, brian o'connor was just a comedic genius um mm-hmm. and just you didn't see a comedy really like that on a kid's show i think really until all that came out on Nickelodeon where you had the comedy sketches like that. So, yeah, so he was able to continue the legacy of this character through, I want to say through 2000. It was about the time that he stopped doing that. And now he's got a family and kids and grandkids and all sorts of different things happening for him, which is really, really nice for him. I still want more schemer in my life. (laughs) I don't think I'll ever get it. 
All right. What other questions? What other things? Throw stuff at me. We had briefly uh, touched on this, but like the music, uh, like how would you describe like the music, be it like the instrumental music or the music in the videos? The music for because because it varied depending on which which one we're talking about. Mm-hmm. So the instrumental bits for background music and stuff mm-hmm. and transition scenes and that. Mm-hmm. I I distinctly remember a lot of banjo. And I think it was because a banjo is generally associated with railroad workers and engineers and conductors and all that and working on the railroad. Um, Banjos and guitars, a lot of string instruments. Um, So that was kind of the tone set throughout the series as far as instrumental backing music. Then you had the jukebox, which had, they went all over the place. You had... Uh, Spanish sounding songs, you had rock songs, you had country songs, you had country ballads, you had um, for their 4th of July episode, they did an entire American medley and it was just incredible. They did oh anything they wanted to do and it was great. Then you had the animated bits, which had they used a lot of non oh, public domain, that's what I was thinking, public domain footage from old school animated stuff some of which i had the full they they took like montages and did that kind of stuff and had different songs play in the background and i recognized i don't even remember what episode it was and i don't even remember the name of a short but i had a collection of like old school shorts and one of them was these two kids that were poor and they fell asleep and they dreamed they were in this like candy land and i saw that segment pop up on one of the animated sequences during one of the episodes of shining time station and i was like mom i know what that is we have that and then i went and watched it as soon as the episode was over because that's how my brain works because once it's in my brain i don't i don't think about anything else so <laughs> but the music for those animated shorts were very uh i don't even know how to describe them they felt like 19 20s 30s 40s like animated shorts before a feature-length film in a movie theater type of thing it had that very the concession song like let's all go to the lobby it all they all kind of sounded like that they were they had that that very similar tone of musicality to them so you had that kind of stuff mixed in with the banjo stuff mixed in with the rock stuff. So you had a, you had a variety of music presented in the series. Um, so then on top of that, then you had the, um, Mike O'Donnell and junior Campbell music, music score that was written for the Thomas episodes, which was also completely different from everything else in the series. So out of all of that, would you, do you have a certain piece that you like the most? I mean, the theme song is beautiful and still makes me cry. Uh, <laughs> I think, I, and I think it's because it makes me think of a time when I didn't have to think about Thomas and go, "Oh, this is a business." <laughs> it makes me think about a time where I could just sit and relax, and it's it's very zenful. Like I feel it's 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 almost like meditational. Um compared again compared to some of the other theme songs that were out there i think 
there are definitely a few of the jukebox songs that I immediately think of. And I go, this version, anytime somebody sings a song, like I've been working on the railroad, I go immediately to that version in my head. Um, there's another popular song about the railroad engineer, Casey Jones. And I immediately think of the jukebox band cover when I think of that song. I have, um, so I run the theater nonprofit actors reaching out and we had a mom of one of the members that came in and knows that I like Thomas and it's getting close to Thanksgiving here. And she goes, the Thanksgiving episode is one of my favorite episodes of that series. And I, I, I don't know how to find it. So I found the link for her and I sent it to her and she was so emotional because she said the song, I don't even remember what the song was that was in it that the jukebox band covered, but she said it is her favorite version of that song. And that is, again, that's, that's the version she goes to when somebody says whatever the title of the song was that's the version she goes to is the Shining Temptation jukebox band cover version. So it definitely had an impact on even the parents that were watching it as kids. Oh, um, absolutely. That's awesome. Yep. I love it. I still love it. I think it's, I mean, it's still one of my favorite shows. I still, I think there's a lot in there that, a lot of kids shows are missing. There's a lot of connectivity with its audience. There's a lot of connectivity with its material. And I think some of the children's media that's out there right now doesn't exactly know where to find the balance. I think that's, Mm -hmm. that's a word I would use to describe Shining Time Station is very balanced, no matter what it was presenting, no matter what the material was, no matter what the art style was that was being presented. It was a very balanced show and you got an, an even spread of everything in each episode. I guess another thing that I wanted to touch on is, as it is getting closer to that time of year, like in between seasons one and two of Shining Time Station, they produced a Shining Time Station Christmas special, which is a gift. Mm-hmm. Uh, and honestly, it's something that I that I still watch like every Christmas time. I try to watch it at least once during the holiday season. It's very hard for a television series to create a good holiday special, no matter what holiday it is. And I and Christmas being a very high pointed one that every TV series starts to go, well, we have to come up with a Christmas episode. So I think this Christmas special, with again the material that was presented, it was. Rico, remind me, there was a girl that was coming to visit. Yeah, Vicky. Was she related to somebody? Uh, I don't think so. I know that apparently Matt and Tanya knew of her from before, and and we don't really see that before, but for whatever reason, they don't really like her. Go into explanation. Yeah. And she she has a bit of an, a, a little bit of an attitude, and she's on edge a lot, and it's something with is it her parents are divorced or her dad passed away there was something something happened right that she that that she just didn't like christmas time i don't think it's been a long uh, time since i've seen it i don't think that that was ever touched on i would have to rewatch it to know might have been like a like a planned backstory that was never touched on Sort of like how in Sword of the Legend of the Lost Treasure, Sailor John apparently was part of the 
Navy, and that was never touched on in that Thomas special. But anyway, back to Tis a Gift. Uh-huh. Right, letters to Santa. Sorry, I'm reading. I'm on the Wikipedia page right now, trying to figure this out. Having finished the letters, kids take them to Stacy, dress them to Santa. Mayor Flapdinger rushes in to inform. Yeah, the names of the stations: Twiddly Junction and. Oh my god, the names for these other stations on this railroad were just absurd. Mayor Flopdinger. I love these names so much. Um, kids didn't know Santa's address. Having finished the story, Mr. Connector tells Matt and Tanya, everyone has something to, special to offer the world, but they don't always know it. Uh, Vicky, bratty local girl, will be spending the afternoon with them. They both protest, knowing Vicky is difficult to get along with, but Stacy encourages them to be nice to her and think of her good traits. Uh, Tucker Rise, Northeastern Star. Vicky is dropped off by the station by her mother, Claire, who has to leave to do some Christmas shopping. Uh, she quickly turns out to be rude and selfish, and Matt and Tony, as Matt and Tony feared. Uh, Vicky's being difficult, soaking on the bench. She meets Mr. Nicholas, who suggests she smile more. Mr. Nicholas is, I wonder who he turns out to be. Do you have any guesses, PJ? Mr. Nicholas, who he might be? Ah, uh, shoot. I have no idea. <laughs> Mr. Nicholas turns out to be St. Nicholas, Mr. Santa Claus himself, um, at the end of the special. And then, uh, the way they wrote the plot in in the first episode of the next season is that uh, Ringo Starr, Mr. Conductor, went to go and work with him at the North Pole, and I was like, "Oh, okay, that's a that that was a weird outing, but okay." Um, Matt and Tanya blame Vicky, so Matt and Tanya are just jerks the entire time. Well, uh... to use a gift. Oh, she and she sings, and everyone loves her. That's right. Yeah, they never went into any backstory. She just was she just was not a very pleasant person. Okay. Uh, uh, speaking of uh, of singing, the song that she sings, which is also simultaneously as the song goes on, uh, s- sung along with the jukebox band. That song was "Simple Gifts," and every time I hear that song, I think of that version from Shining Time Station. And another thing that I sort of liked with regards to Mr. Nicholas is that while it's hinted and very much insinuated by the end that he really is Santa Claus, he never go out and say, Mr. Nicholas is Santa Claus. You're right. You're right. The idea of Mr. Conductor helping uh, Santa Claus, as you mentioned, actually brings up an interesting uh, personal story of mine. When I was younger, I was with uh, Big Brothers Big Sisters. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it wasn't, I never really got a Big Brother or a Big Sister, uh, but I was like in a group of people who are waiting to be matched. And every, every year around Christmas, they have like a bowling Christmas party of some sort. And oh, that's cool. And they do hire uh, someone to play Santa at those events. And so when I was growing up, I remember uh, asking the Santa Claus at this event, like, about Mr. Conductor and, like, how he helps him. And apparently this, however they hired to play Santa, was familiar 
enough with Shining Time Station and Thomas to give me this explanation as to how he had helped him. Mr. Conductor taught him to believe that anything is possible so that your dreams or whatever can come true, and he showed him Thomas as a result, and that is what inspired him to believe that reindeer can fly, and so that was something that... Oh my god, that's so cute! Yeah, yeah. that's really cool. Yeah. And so, growing up, I believe that story so much so that I made this, uh... I don't know where it is anymore. I found it a few years ago, then I misplaced it. It was this uh, pop-up book that I made out of paper, which sort of retold that story that he had told me. And basically, like you mentioned, that was a cute story and good explanation. But one of the, I guess, the unintended side effects of him telling me that story is that it wasn't until, I think, 7th or 8th grade that I found out the, the truth. Because my, my personal belief was that at the North Pole, there was a magic railroad entrance, and that's where Santa's workshop was. Okay. I, I guess, looking back, it, finding out wasn't really that difficult for me, but, but I guess... One thing that I will say is this goes to show, like, the effects that these shows have on people. And especially with the idea of Santa being shown Thomas and how many people, regardless of Santa or whatever, grew up thinking that Thomas was real and that you could actually touch him. That's something that some people think is not that well replicated with the new CGI look of the series. Yeah, no, you're right. I think, yeah, Stranding Temptation definitely had a tactileness to it that not a lot of shows have now, or even back then, really. Uh, Depending on what you watched, more more so with PBS, there were a lot more live-action blending of shows. You don't really get much of that now. Everything is animated, and you're, you're kind of losing that human contact. They can try and create things animated that will recreate that same feeling, but it doesn't usually work. But I think even watching it now, I think it, the that Shining Time Station still stands as a really strong show. I think it still has a lot of fantastic topics. It really brings education about real-life railroads in, which is another thing I really appreciated because... If you watch Thomas, you you kind of pick up on some of the terminology, and you you just you know, mm-hmm. as they go through and they start explaining things, you kind of understand how things work. Mm-hmm. But Shining Time Station also did the real life application, so they said, "Well, this is how this is a famous engine story, and this is a legend from like way back when." And then it was like a real a day to- again talking about like Casey Jones, like the legend of Casey Jones, and all sorts of stuff. And then it would talk about how steam engines work, and also and the first railroad engine in the in the area, and all sorts of stuff. So I really appreciated that there was a real life element that could be thrown in there, and it wasn't mm-hmm. just all completely fictionalized. Yeah. But yeah, it's still a show that I enjoy watching now. Um, if I'm in a, a stressful or uh, depressed mood, that's a show that I can watch that will lift up my spirits again, and I'll, I'll kind of be put back in that nostalgic spot as as a, as I was as a kid. 
Yeah, sometimes we watch kids' shows just to, like, lift our spirits up. It just makes us feel mm-hmm. better and good on the inside. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's what's so important about when creating a children's television series. It has to be entertaining for both the child that's watching it, that it's the intended audience for, and the parent that is also watching it with their children. And we touched a little bit on that in the past couple of, of episodes of our of the podcast, but I, I and I'm going to stand by it with I think almost every single thing that we talk about, and, and I'm standing by it with Shining Time Station. My parents enjoyed the show as well as as well and as much as I enjoyed the show as a kid, and they still do. I still bring they'll bring up different things, and I'll bring up different things about it, and it still comes up in conversation with us. It was it was a very big part of my childhood and me growing up and my interest in railroads and trains. And I love it. I love it so much. This is great. Cause I've learned so much about the show. Like um, you guys did a really good job at explaining everything and it made a lot more sense now. And I'm wishing that I had watched this show because even just listening to this made me feel nostalgic. I'm like, oh, I wish I had a kid's show like that. Mm-hmm. No, you guys did great. I, I felt bad for not talking a lot. But you engaged and you listened, and that's what matters. You you warned us ahead of time that you had not watched the show before, so it was up to us to educate you. True, and you did. You did your you did your job correctly, so you did great. Yeah, I now know about the, the show. End of, well, exactly, Nathan. At the end of this podcast, you're you're saying that you wish you had watched the show as a kid because it, it just the description engaged your interest then we have done our job correctly <laughs> yes you did yeah. congratulations this has been a very interesting and well-rounded discussion about shining time station so until next time this has been a journey beyond the lens Thank you for listening to Beyond the Lens. The intro music is Work. That's W-E-R-Q by Kevin McCobb. It is available under a Creative Commons attribution license and can be downloaded for free at Incompetech.com. Beyond the Lens is a ReCore Entertainment production. Now this podcast is going to go viral and I'm going to get headlines. Eric doesn't know how to read. Great. <laughs> <laughs>